ったハロー。Good evening. Good evening, good evening, good evening.、Uh, as always, my name is Stanford. We're just going to wait a few more minutes just for everyone to get their audio ready, just in case they're running a little bit behind. They just want to join one minute past seven and stuff on the dot.、Um, but yeah, tonight we've got an exciting lineup talking about a more surgical topic. So, great, let's make a.、Oh. Let's make a start. My name is Stanford.、Uh, I'm a medical doctor working in psychiatry at the moment, previously working in maternity, also yoga teacher and yoga therapist trainee under Colin.、Uh, for Colin to introduce himself. Hi, I'm Colin.、Um, I'm a yoga therapist、um, and have been working for the last、um, quite a large number of years with different people with different conditions. And One of them we've come across quite a bit, which is why Stanford and I discussed, was, was actually knee surgery.、Um, the knee is actually a, a very, very complicated joint that needs to be respected at all times. It's one of those joints that is like, it's probably the most complicated joint in the body. And there's something very interesting with regard to yoga and knees and what happens. And I think this is kind of very strange statistic I came across that 70% of yoga teachers have issues with their knees. So I, I kind of found the whole subject matter that we're going to discuss knee surgery tonight、um, quite interesting. And I've got sort of, I would like to share with you guys、um, a number of case studies、um, spanning different ages with regard to knees, knee issues, what happens with knee issues, and the approaches with knee issues in different ways.、Um, So, this is my, my brief introduction. Stanford, can I hand over to you to open up with regard to the knee joint, the most complicated joint in the body? So, I'm going to blame this one on you, Colin, because I have to really admit this is a topic that really m a k e me nervous. Because despite the fact that I am medically trained and I previously worked almost four years in the surgical specialty, I have never ever worked in orthopedics. My only real experience in orthopedic surgeries is in my medical school years.、Um, but of course, knee replacement or knee injury, knee damage,、um, or knee complaints is actually really common, as Colin says, not outside yoga teacher or yoga practitioners、uh, well, but also just in general population. Because from a medical point of view, I wouldn't be quite so confident to say it's the most complicated joint because all joints are complicated to me. But I would say it's definitely one of the more interesting ones because it's one of the、uh, most weight bearing ones. Because if you think about your body, like the torso and obviously the head is the most heavy part, heaviest part of your body. And it kind of rests all around the knee. And it's also one of the most mobile joints as well. So it is definitely more prone to damage. And also, we really, really rely on our knee a lot, not just. Against gravity, not just to mobilize, but also just do a lot of different functions like、um, helping our legs to flex, helping us to sit down, helping us to go up and down the stairs or incline, decline. So I find it very nerve wracking just to talk about this topic. So I might, I might throw the ball to Colin a little bit more, but I will just come from a surgical point of view because I think surgery is something that I can definitely say a little bit more about in general.、Um, 
I just did a bit of background research before this webinar, like surgery come from like Latin, I think, or old Greek surgery, uh, which basically just meant to do things with your hands. And it's not really uh, a really well-respected specialty back in the days, because I think some of you probably have known the stories back in the days uh, in medieval time, only barber performed the surgery and actually not medically trained people. They kind of literally just cut into people because they have the skills, they have the knives, they have the tools. Uh, but later more and more, we learn more and more about uh, human anatomy and it become a more spe um, specialized and medicalized uh, subjects. But that's also partly why all the surgeons now, they still get called Mr. or Miss. They, we don't retain the title of doctor anymore once you become a fully trained surgeon. Um, but I think it's, the history of it is quite good illustration how we actually get to understand the human body and the anatomy more and more every day and every century. Um, and our understanding and the, the, the care of the joints as well as the surgery before, during and after, they will probably change over time as well. So some of the FIs that I research for this specialty, it might stand for now, but if you listen to this, I don't know, say with membership, a few months down the line, something might have changed. So just to bear that in mind as well. Colin, I'm gonna give you a question. So as you said, something like about 70% of yoga practitioners have knee injury. What's the most common type or the commonest type of knee injury for yogis? Well, I've seen a lot of a lot of damage, particularly with regard to ligaments and ligament damage on either side. So um, the knee is quite interesting because what it does is it's not just a hinge joint, but it also it has got this beautiful capacity just to rotate, just to touch. Um, and it's that rotation. You, if you think about the image of yoga yoga has a, a number of different sort of iconic images headstands one vegetarianism is another padmasana lotus position is another and you find that it, that because of this rotation there tends to be quite a lot of pressure applied on the outside particularly the outside edge now i don't want to talk about yoga practitioners today because as a yoga therapist i actually don't see that many yoga practitioners anymore i'm more interested in people that have come to me with skiing injuries knee replacements i've got a farmer down here who's just had an accident and you know this head-on collision knee crushed you know a whole load of stuff going on there there's knee surgery I've come across knee replacements and there's several different types of knee replacements, which I find particularly interesting. Some work better than others. And I'd love to touch on that as well. Um, so for me, I kind of break it into a number of different areas. I think three main areas I'd like to break it into. The first area is, um, let's say to do with something like degeneration and damage. Okay, so you've got the idea of, of wear and tear, degeneration, damage. So I'm working with a lady who's had a double, double knee replacement. Now, double knee replacements are quite interesting because they don't do both at the same time. You have to do one first, recover from that, and then do the other one. And what I want to do is I want to look at a couple of things because we need to give advice as a therapist in preparation for surgery. Then there's the surgery itself, and then there's the phase after surgery. And so this actually becomes quite interesting. So... I think that for me, the this kind of the wear and tear, the, you know, uh, 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 this other guy that I work with, 
you know, football issue. So he was kicking footballs, ligament went ping, skiing issue, someone came off a ski lift, ligaments went ping. And so you get this common area where ligaments tend to go. Then you get this sort of wear and tear. So there's, there's inside the knee, there's this sort of cartilage that sort of, and for most of you, if you move your knee, you'll have this kind of this cracking sound, it's called crepitation. And this is kind of like a normal sound, but there's almost like what's happening inside the knee is that there's just bits of this cartilage that's starting to begin to erode and go into the joint itself. So you've got a degeneration of this area. So within the knee itself, as a yoga practitioner, we start to look at numbers of things. We start to look at, firstly, the muscles, the muscles that surround it and the muscles include the ligaments. We look at the fats and the fats help the movement of the actual joint itself. Um, we start to look at the bone and the bone structure because you've got the muscles that hold it together. You've got the, the fats that create all the movement. Then you've also got the bone and how the bone comes into contact also becomes important as well. And then we start to look at um, nerve and how the nerves are running within this. So we tend to sort of, as a yoga practitioner, we're starting to look at a number of things. We're starting to look at these sort of four areas. We're also starting to look at whether the issue, what, what's happened with the issue. So for me, it's very, very important to qualify absolutely everything, first of all. And some of you who have done stuff with me, you know how many questions I ask. I ask so many questions. I start to ask questions about what happened. Can you tell me just a little bit more about what happened? What's going on with your knee? Okay, where does it, what causes the pain, how the pain is, what happens when you move it like this, what happens when you move it like that? Because the number one rule within yoga is no pain, no pain. It's not that's the wrong one, no pain, no pain. Yeah, that's the right one. Um, so the number one rule in yoga is no pain, no pain. It means that every direction that we're taking with every single thing that we're coming to do, every exercise that we give someone, everything that we do goes in the direction of no pain, no pain. So I want to check absolutely everything. So I'm starting to check the way that the person's standing because quite often when a person comes into a room, we start to almost separate out the, the way that they're approaching us as well into two areas. So I'm separating it again as two more areas into acute symptoms. And I would say acute symptoms are severe pain with limping. So the farmer that I've met and that I'm working with, he's had, I'd say, operation after operation after operation one leg is shorter than the other and every time he walks he's like so much pain so huge amount of pain and sometimes he he walks with a stick but he tries not to walk with a stick and often there's quite a lot of swelling and restriction with regard to acute symptoms so you get sort of an inflammation around the knee joint you get sort of a restriction with regard to the way the knee moves and you also start to get sometimes pain on movement and sometimes you get a, not just the inflammation but also you start to get a lot of heat that comes off this as well. So I sort of start to begin to observe and ask lots of questions. So the observation process is that I'm starting to look at how the person's moving, how they're standing, how whether they walk in, what absolutely every single thing about them and their knee I want to find out. I want to check the range of movement of the knee. I want to palpate the knee. I use in the back of the hand to feel heat on the knee. 
I'm looking to how the knee is working. I'm looking at how the muscles around the knee are working. I'm looking at how the foot and the hip are working. I'm starting to look at whether they've got pain in the shoulders and the back, which are compensating with regard to what's happening in the knee. So all the time as I'm talking to the person, I'm watching exactly what's going on within the structure of the body. I'm looking at how they have their relationship with pain and how that pain is occurring, whether it's something that is pre-operation, whether it's something that is post-operation. And I'm starting to sort of establish a sort of a framework to actually begin to work with them with. Does this make sense, Stanford? Absolutely. Oh, sorry, sorry for my monologue. I've just- no. You know, I always enjoy a monologue. Uh, I was actually struck by, uh, once again, how similar our consultation styles actually is. You know, we have to really inspect and observe everything. And I guess more in psychiatry than ever, because our examination is actually just by the conversation. But in, even in a physical examination, actually, as soon as the patient walks through the door, you, you kind of start straight away, even if you're just saying hello to each other. And I think... <sighs> having the skill and the experience to really observe is amazing, but that does certainly, uh, most certainly takes a lot of training. I guess from my point of view, just to, after all those examination skills and clinical consultation skills, I, as you said, I think the main thing to find out is what exactly is going on and diagnosis. And that often comes from experience and knowledge itself. And I think the hour that we're having this webinar probably wouldn't quite cover it, you know, how to slot each one into what diagnosis. But usually people have problems with the knee either with pain, which as you said beautifully is one of the most common issues. Um, maybe it's just because their relationship with pain, maybe it's actual pain, maybe it's actually mm -hmm. something else causing a discomfort in the joint itself. Um, but there's also bleeding, you know, even any trauma or anything like that. Swelling is obviously a common one, especially if you have a bit of arthritis. Sometimes you have hematomas, or a collection of blood inside the joint itself or hemoarthritis um, that can cause swelling. But there are also other things like gout, pseudogout, where there's like a collection of different crystal crystals and sediments inside the joint that can also limit the function of joint and obviously the last one that's the most kind of one of the other most in com, um, important one which is limitation on the mobility of the joints so usually people will come in with one of these problems or let's face it most of us probably somewhere in our lifespan will have experienced one of these issues um i myself have a my knees years ago and I'll say I think from what I've learned in medical school the most common injury is um, ACL injury so anterior cruciate ligaments injury which is like the crossing ligaments or also a meniscus tear so meniscus is the cushion that Colin has talked about so either of these injuries are more common because as Colin has said, so the knee do flex, so you know, kind of fold and extend when they extend, like move away from each other. So your thighs and your calf move away from each other. It has that capacity and degree of rotation. But if you actually talk to any orthopedic surgeons, they get really, really nervous when you talk about knee rotation, almost like talking to a yoga teacher saying, you put your knees in front of your ankle, like you suddenly get this tensing up and things like, oh, that's not supposed to happen. It is to a degree true because um, the knee itself is very, very well wrapped up. I would say wrapped up by a lot of muscles, ligaments and bursa. Um, but actually in terms of bone itself, that the really only connection is kind of this hinge 
join action. So anything that's actually going sideways, it can potentially destabilize the joint. But of course, to destabilize the joint, first of all, you have to look at the actual stability of the joint to begin with. So if you have a very strongly, a strong knee, sorry, my pronunciation, strong knee, a little bit of rotation may be okay depending on the speed, depending on the force you put onto. However, if the knee itself is already weak, say you already got arthritis, if there's any like bone defects, osteoporosis, osteopenia, then a little bit more of a rotational force most likely is gonna cause more problem. And most of the time, because the bone itself is quite strong, it kind of lead to the next, the weakest link, which is the bursa or the ligaments, which is why it's slowly circling back to what I said before, um, usually it's the ligaments so the ACL and the meniscus that is causing the problem. Now the, 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 the other side of that is because the knee joint itself is really well wrapped up, it also compensates itself very, very nicely. So if one of the ligaments or what parts of the meniscus, parts of the cushion, gone a little bit of tear, you can still actually pretty much walk around function relatively okay, but it will be really uncomfortable or very, very painful. How best to then kind of get yourself better is the tricky part. Because first of all, you need to really find out what happens and what is wrong. And since most ligaments and bursas and cartilage just doesn't really show itself onto x-ray, you kind of need something a little bit more expensive, a little bit longer waiting list, like an MRI. And that makes it a bit more difficult. And the second difficult bit is even if there's a little bit of a small tear in ligaments or meniscus, you're not really gonna go for full surgery. Because, you know, going into surgery, you have to start cutting open things, putting suture into things. So actually, a lot of the time, you might end up causing more damage than you initially have. So that's why a lot of the basic, basic knee um, presentation or joints presentation, you don't often need surgery in the first place. Um, but once you get to the place that you need to, so like really bad arthritis where you need to replace the joints or the joint, uh, you've broken the joint is a fracture or um, something that congenitally or over time degeneratively has damaged the joint so badly or there's an infection inside where you start need to kind of invasively treating it, that is a time when you need to be a bit more careful. Now, I think I, I, my preparation, I'm going to talk a little bit about how you prepare uh, before surgery and also after, but I'm going to actually ask Colin first, because I think one of the most, one of the more important thing about going to surgery is kind of building yourself up, getting your baseline level quite nicely. So you, you've got a good body, you're strong, you've got good nutrition going on. So how can yoga help us if anyone's going for knee surgery? Thank you, Sanford. Um, everything depends on the type of surgery um, that people are going for. Um, it, what I found very interesting with the, and I, I, yeah, I just wanted to say just one thing is I actually remember I just played tennis this weekend with a doctor whose husband is a, a surgeon and she has no ligaments at all within her knee. She wears a brace around her knee to play tennis because she doesn't want the operation, which is going to take a piece of her hamstring and put it into the actual 
and she said, look, I'm just not having the operation. So she, she plays tennis in the brace. She actually uses the brace to do that with. And it just made me laugh because she cycles a lot and she also horse rides. So it's kind of interesting that actually you can do so much without having operations. Um, so thank you for that, Sanford. Um, in the preparation aspect of things, for me, it's, it's all to do with what someone's going to be going through and what they're going to be doing. So as a yoga therapist, it, it, to really understand the process that the person is going to go through. So whether it is that they're actually having, you know, the, the ACL dealt with or whether it's actually going to be a knee replacement, a knee replacement comes into lots of different camps because, uh, you know, a knee replacement is you've got a generic knee replacement, which is kind of like, interesting, they just give you a standard knee joint itself. Um, or in Switzerland, a few years ago, I came across a clinic that what they would do is they would take a scan of your knee and construct a new knee to the exact shape of your body, which was, I was found unbelievable. You know, it was one of those sort of things I was like, really? They were like, oh yeah. I said, I bet that's expensive. They're like, oh yeah. Um, and, and but the fit is so much better because the structure of the new joint is matches the structure of the body. So it's, it's better. But the other thing to do with surgery and to know about surgery, whether it's knee replacement, whether it's hip replacements, and hip replacement is one of the most successful replacements, um, and it's beautiful replacement, I always recommend it, um, is that actually there's a real difference with the activities that we need to prepare people to do before and afterwards. Um, in something like a hip replacement, you get someone up and moving straight away. In a knee replacement, it's a very, very different thing. I tend to get people to get cryo cuffs immediately. Now, cryo cuff is a is a, um, one of those kind of like tanks with water, and you can get sophisticated ones that are kind of like with ice and do ice things and put it around the knee. I get someone to get a cryo cuff immediately. I also get them to get knee supports as well immediately as well. And so I ask them to get cryo cuffs, knee supports. I start to prepare them really, really carefully. I ask what information they've been given, what support they've been given. Um, whether they're having it privately, whether they're having it through the NHS, what they've been taught, whether they've read the leaflets, whether they've read the manuals, what exercises they're being given by the physios. And I check absolutely everything right the way through and I check it with them so that what's happening is that I'm sure that they're prepared. Now, many people want to and have different approaches with surgery. Some people are they build up a lot of emotion and a lot of fear and tension about going into a surgery and so there has to be a lot of reassurance and a lot of support in that movement upwards to that point. Stanford you mentioned something about pain and there is often pain before the surgery but there is also a huge amount of pain that occurs after a surgery as well. So for me, I'm starting to look at the person's relationship with pain beforehand, preparing and giving them techniques which they can, which can help them and help them to deal with pain as they move through and come out the other side. So 
if I start to sort of summarize, what I'm saying is that I'm depends on how the problem is presented. It also can vary from severe to actually quite minor, whether the symptoms are very acute or whether they're actually non-acute um, will depend on the direction that's taken. It will depend on whether I'm looking to maintain the mobility that someone has, to reduce the pain that they've got, to reduce swelling that they've got, to give them advice and support with regard to how they're using the leg, the knee, the back, the whole of their body as part of the whole thing. Does that make sense, Stanford? Absolutely. And I think I, pain and analgesia is definitely one of the topics I was going to discuss about. So thank you for that lead in. Because I think pain is very interesting. I was talking to someone else about it today and we're saying we all react to pain so differently. Some of us have a little bit of pain, say like cut our fingers and want to lie on the couch all day and just tell everyone that we're in severe pain. Some of us, have the most excruciating pain and then can sit there and just say nah it's fine keep going some of us really crave for pain like I know someone who like really into deep tissue massage and the more pain the better it's almost like a little bit of a sadism tendency where it's like yeah pain is good I really want to go for that and occasionally we see that in our physical practice as well where we really push ourselves just to feel that extreme connection to our body um, but to find a balance where you know pain is the warning where maybe you are overexerting your body a little bit as a warning sign that something may break or something has broken mm -hmm. and how you necessarily back off from getting it worse is really fine balance is definitely a lifelong lesson. And I think it's, this lesson is particularly important in, as Colin said, leading up to the surgery, but also the aftercare of the surgery. So if any of you who are medically trained or have researched anything about analgesia, like painkiller, you know have about the WHO analgesic ladder. So the World Health uh, Organization have an analgesic ladder where we kind of do a stepwise approach, starting obviously the most basic paracetamol, and then we've got our non-steroids uh, non anti-inflammatories, so like our ibuprofen, dicoflanac. Then you're moving towards the weak opiates, like your codeine, before you go to the stronger opiate, like morphine. So that usually is the flow that most doctors or most prescribers will go if you know, we're giving analgesia. And obviously during the surgery and straight after like within the, the first 24 to 72 hours, you get the strongest painkiller, strong morphine to help you to cope with the, like quite deep trauma, especially like there's a replacement where there's gonna be a lot of nerve broken, nerve severed and a lot of bleeding, a lot of skin wound where you need to actually help the patient to be comfortable enough so they can rest. So I know Colin said that you don't, the advice usually for knee is you don't mobilize straight away. I, I research and I think there's definitely many school how people are recovering from a, say just like a knee replacement. But some schools do say as soon as they can, they will try to get the person up and start mobilizing a little bit. Now for the person to be able to do that, which I'll come back to later why they're doing that, um, they need to feel comfortable enough where they can actually be on their feet, but not so comfortable where they are unaware that something might be broken again, say like the suture is gonna pour off just because they're overexerting themselves. And I think that balance is anyone who's going for surgery or anyone who's living with pain, which probably half the population in the world, 
it's, it's going to be a very difficult balance because we really, really need to have that connection to our body where what is really going on? Are we doing too much? Are we doing too little? Are we giving ourselves too much of an easy break? Are we giving ourselves too much of hard time and something actually make further damage? Now, Western medicine have, like, or at least in NHS, we have the pain kit clinic where we look into the psycho, psychological, mental, as well as emotional part of pain, because let's face it, analgesia really only touch kind of the neurological as well as the um, physical part of the pain. But we all know pain is a, so much more than that. It's almost like literally just the tip of the iceberg where, you know, we're trying to touch the physical pain, but pain has such an emotional, energetic, psychological component to it, where, so if someone who really have a difficult relationship with pain, you need a more specialized clinic. Now, these clinics are much harder to get a referral to and the space and availability is definitely much more limited. I'm going to wager that Colin have met quite a few more people who live with pain and have a bit more to say to that. So I'm going to, hopefully you're okay with this detour, talking about pain a little bit. Um, more than okay, because actually... It it helps to classify things to, into non-acute and acute for me. And I love what you just said, because this is, again, another way that as part of what we're looking at doing with people is that we're starting to understand when there is pain within the locomotive or structural system, we are considering how the body actually self is being used. So it means that we're looking at someone individually about how they come to use their body because there's something within this is what activities does the person do? So for someone, I'm looking at how they walk upstairs and walk downstairs and the pain that they've got in there. I'm looking at how people get into cars, get out of cars. I'm starting to look at, you know, what, what jobs they're doing, that they're standing up all day, sitting down all day. I'm starting to understand all these different things because as part of what everyone wants when they're in pain is they want everything to get back to normal again and that's one of the big things that people say to me is that I just want everything to get back to normal I'd want to be out of pain and people will do anything to get out of pain but I'm starting to look at the activities they do I'm looking at their lifestyle I'm also looking as Stanford said about their psychological attitude and I was speaking to this with this with someone today about people's psychological attitude and how in essence quite often this sort of negative approach that a lot of people are taking when there's a lot of pain is actually exacerbating the situation more and more and more and more so within this i start to look at whether someone is using the body in an insufficient way where there is a lack of maintenance of the body I'm starting to look at whether there's an over excessive use of their body or, you know, they've used it in a particular way that's causing an issue. And it's the repetitive pattern of that that is causing the pain and actually becomes the, the origin of the pain. And what I'm starting to do is I'm starting to look also look at structural issues as well and inappropriate or awkward use. So I find it very interesting pattern and habits that people take like Stanford mentioned with standing on one leg is someone kind of like takes all their weight onto one side locks the knee out at the back and 
has a pain in the hip and the knee and has all these kind of like pain things going on. And I know it's not a surgery-based thing, but what happens is that if they have a pattern of doing that as a degeneration, but then they default to that as part of the process afterwards, they hinder their evolution with regard to recovery. And actually they can cause themselves more pain as well. So for me, it, it's this is the framework of what I'm coming to look at when I'm exploring the relationship with pain and the knee and knee surgery, and also with regard to knee recovery. Now, this becomes very interesting. I had a, a very strange case with a, a, a young man. He was about in his 20s and he had two keyhole surgeries on each knee and it was excessive use of the knee. And because he was so young, he was encouraged to get back and get working as fast as possible and get his legs working as much as possible. And he was also, because um, what was happening is that there was a very small range of movement after the surgery, he was encouraged to increase the range of movement more and more and more. And actually caused more damage to the knee. So for me, and, and it's also affected him years and years and years later. So for me, it's the, the process of starting to get more movement into the joint is one that is takes time and it, it follows a process of just slowly 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 just beginning to get more and more movement over a period of time rather than we've got to get this movement otherwise it will never come back again and just kind of push it as hard as we can um so to recap i'm, I'm considering their activities I'm considering the lifestyle. I'm looking at the psychological attitude. I'm looking at how they maintain and use their body. Is it insufficient? Is there a lack of it? And what steps I need to take to restore or even to, to strengthen or have to remobilize something. I'm also starting to look at whether there's excessive use within the body. Um, you know, it's excessive use around the knees. I was working with this gardener. And she would never put pads on her knees. She'd drop down onto the floor, onto hard stone floor and just start to do things. And what I see now a lot with regard to painters and gardeners is I see the most wonderful thing is that actually they're using paddings. They're big, big paddings. They put going down and they're not damaging their knees. And they're really looking after themselves. But there was this kind of old school mentality that actually you could get down to the floor and you could do these things. And for me, this is something to be challenged and to be put into place with regard to the activities that they're doing and also their psychological attitude. So I'm also coming to look at structural issues. I'm looking at the way the body's working. I'm looking at sometimes the arches of the feet collapse. And because the arches of the feet collapse, it creates knock on effects up into the knees and there's pain felt around the knees. And actually, you know, everything then becomes centered on the inflammation around the knees. It, it, it could be something structural like this. So I, I'm tending to spend quite a lot of time to understand each person's story. Also to understand the information they've gleaned from Western medical practitioners, 
from the people that they've worked with, the, the people that have, have examined them, the people that have x-rayed them, the people that have done MRIs on them, the people that have the physios that have worked with them. I, I, I want as much information as possible so that I can spread that information across and around that person and begin to understand a lot more about the interaction they have with themselves, how they're utilizing their body in the world, and how I can start to put into them the right techniques to help them either maintain, protect, recover, or increase the healing process that their body is naturally doing. So, um, does that make sense, Sanford? It does. And I, I love your challenge on how people sometimes challenge their own flesh and bones of the knees to a hardwood floor, hearthstone floor. I think those kind of habits definitely is worth challenging. And mm. kind of in, in, our, in our practice as well, I, I always think, you know, padding under the knees is definitely most important. As I say, I very much want to keep using my knees for the next 50 years. I don't want to keep rubbing it onto my hardwood floor, which I have at home. Um, I think just in case you're wondering why we're spending so much time talking about all these prerequisite of surgery and how we can really kind of prep a person before we go into surgery and how we almost start talking about how different people are recovering differently in surgery. Because I think as part of the preparation for anyone going to surgery, which is as I, my trainer has always taught me is the most invasive kind of tra um, treatments. You, and also most of the time, most irreversible form of train, um, treatments, we really have to consider, is it the right thing to do? And um, this acronym I picked up in one of my yoga therapy training, I think actually is quite good you know, when you consider any procedure, it's called BRAIN, easy to remember. Um, B stands for benefit, like what is this procedure actually gonna give you? So most knee surgery hopefully will give you more mobility, less pain. Um, hopefully it means that you can stay mobile and walk and have maintained a certain lifestyle for much longer because most knee replacement typically lasts somewhere around a decade, sometimes more, sometimes less, depending on how, how um, what material, depending on how you use it, how you recover from it after. R stands for uh, risk. So what are the risks that can happen? So like uh, any operation, infection, bleeding, Pain afterward are definitely the top ones. Sometimes blood clots from the legs to the lung, that is another common one called DVT or PE. And also in general, like a knee joint, when you heal, can you actually, instead of improving the mobility, can you actually worsen the mobility? Because it is possible. Uh, anyone who have done or have researched about knee surgery or knee replacement know that the advice usually is as long as you can during the recovery period, other than mobility, try to keep your knee very straight, which is partly why you need to be wearing the knee braces because you want to keep the joints in alignment when you heal. So you don't, you know, once they fully heal, it doesn't come into a flexion point, doesn't cause any stretch or anything like that. But these are part of the consideration to have to think. So, because let's face it, anything you do carry a certain amount of risk. Can, it, can I be the unlucky person who has one of these risks? And what will I do if like my knee end up being worse than before? Like my mobility actually got a little bit worse after the surgery instead of better. How am I gonna be able to live with that? Alternative, like Colin's saying, other than knee surgery, 
can I just wear a brace? Can I use external force to support my ligament instead of going for a ligament repair, ligament replacement? Is there another form of treatment that's available that maybe the risk is slightly lower, the benefits equal, and I don't, I don't have, I can consider. Right, so eyes next, intuition. What is your gut feeling? Like, what do you think? Or sometimes, you know, a bit of research, you talk to some people who already have the knee surgery. After hearing all these stories, what do I think if I go through the same situation? What would be? What would I do? What would I behave? How would I react? And last one, N, nothing. Do nothing. That is always an option too. Like you don't always have to take the treatment. Yes, from a medical point of view, if you come to us with a problem, we always give you a treatment plan. But more often than not, we, we, we have to remind, remind ourselves, actually, sometimes no treatment is a treatment itself, which is wash and wait. Or actually, after hearing all the risk and damage and potential problems, complications, actually not doing something may be the slightly better option. So I think this is quite a good acronym for anyone considering surgery or anything that's slightly more invasive. It's not just, you know, focusing on knee surgery itself, but any other facet or any other treatment that you're thinking of that is slightly more significant. I think it's quite a good way of kind of more logically analyze what I may have to go through. Um, so part of that is having to really encourage the patients or the, or the practitioners to really consider all these facets because it is a big surgery, you know, it is one of the most successful surgery other than hip replacement or other than other forms of surgery, but it still has problems. You know, we all know that orthopedics is actually one of the, one of the top five, I think, um, medical specialty that has litigation. They have a lot of lawsuits, there are a lot of cases. Now, of course, most of them probably comes from like spinal surgery where complications are a lot worse than your knee surgery, but still, you know, it's massive enough where knee surgery, there are chances that things can go wrong. So to prepare ourselves, as I said, and Colin has said already, you know, get your basic um, health status better, nutrition-wise, mobility as much as you can, also mental preparation, how you can deal with pain, but also it's the support that you can have, like at home, not just your family and friends who can be there to say or pour you or give you soup or you know tend to tend to you when you are unwell but also like practical things like can you move your bed to the first floor instead of sorry onto the ground floor instead of the first floor you know after knee surgery having to be confined onto the first floor or you have to risk going up and down the stairs probably not the most clever thing we can do you know how can you make yourself a bit more accessible your shoes, can you find shoes that's more comfortable where you can start mobilizing a little bit better straight after? Because I think orthopedic surgery, again, please correct me if I'm wrong or please tell me if the protocol has changed. I think orthopedic has already moved towards what we call enhanced recovery procedure where as soon as we can, we try to get the patients recover quicker um, after the surgery. So as I said, sometimes within the first 48 hours they actually start trying to get the patient start walking a little bit like literally a few meters at most just to get the blood going get them joints moving a little bit because yes the body really clever they're really good at healing itself and especially to the weakest part you try to help to make the joints or the area much stronger but the problem is sometimes all this scar tissue can cause problems later on with stiffness mobility as well as pain so it start encouraging the joints a little bit more the knee brace I mentioned, Colin have mentioned the cold or the freeze cough, I think, um, 
um, what I read is actually like a cold compress um, where it's had like running water or ice pack kind of thing inside the joint. Now I'm also in the, in the school where if there's acute swelling, acute, so in the first few days to first few weeks, eyes of coldness actually quite good because it helps to take down the swelling, prevent the swelling from building in the first place. And afterward, I suggest actually use a slightly warmer compress where you get the circulation going again, moving again. But I've spoken to someone who do Chinese medicine and she said, no, 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 no. Under no circumstances, sorry, that's my mimic of a Spanish accent. No, 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 no. Under no circumstances, if you have swelling, put ice on it, always hot. And it's like, okay, she's clever. I do take her point for it. It does help with the circulation. So either ice or pot, depending on which school you, school you go to. And I think one of the most important I've read is um, afterward as well, for as long as you can during the recovery, keep your knee straight as well so that you, you maintain that integrity of the joint. Colin, have I been rumbling on for too long? No, not at all. Not in the slightest. Um, I, I love all of the approach that you've given. And I, and I, I think it's absolutely brilliant because in a way, we, we, we're combining a number of things. You're actually combining the physiology with the psychology, which becomes very important, and the emotional state of someone. Now, the physiology, we can sort of begin to see, yes, we've got to start to move the body in acute situations. But quite often, the psychology wants to push the body to recover. And this is where it's in the recovery process that I encourage people to start their yoga practice and work lying. So the, the whole process with acute knee conditions and acute pain is to get people to lie often with their legs up on a chair. So it's raised, legs are up on a chair and to start to get flexion in the ankles rather than to work around the knee so even with the leg is straight so you can have one leg straight up you can you can do many different things but just to start to work around the ankle which is away from the knee itself and just by working with the ankle it starts to it starts to actually engage the muscles that are around the knee and this becomes very beautiful because it's a passive approach to actually starting to get more movement and circulation within that area. So I tend to start people lying to reduce inflammation, to reduce swelling, to also to work away from the knee to either the hip or the ankle. So that what's happening is the knee doesn't become the focus because I'm looking to integrate the knee back into the way that actually the whole thing is working. So. I often start people lying. I get them to rest the area because in quite often with all the other exercises they're doing and within their mind and also within their emotion, they want to push and they want to push forward quite a lot and they want a measure of success based on how far they've walked. Can I walk up these stairs, which means I can leave hospital? Can I walk down this place, which means I can do this? And so for me, rest, relaxation, using visualization, avoiding aggravating factors, 
it, it gives the, the body a huge amount of capacity to recuperate itself. A surgery is very traumatic. The push that goes on afterwards within our minds in order to create the line in the ground that we have to get over in order to get back again also forms part of this whole equation. And I need to start to change the way people are working themselves, not to hold themselves back or not to hold back, but to actually understand and be aware of the nature of what they're dealing with. So for me, it's a starting line. And then I move to seated. And quite often, what I mean by sitting, seated is not sitting on the ground, it's sitting on a chair. And it's getting people to work with sitting on a chair before I finally get them to stand up and bear weight on the feet. So as part of my approach, I'm taking a number of things. I'm, I'm teaching people how to lie down and rest, how to move the body in slightly different ways, which does not affect the knee at all. It complements the knee. So I'm careful of the rotations taken in the leg. I'm careful with regard to how the feet are flexed. And making sure that there is no pain at all. And only then I get someone to sit up maybe after a, a few sessions so that they can then start to be on a chair and start to work with their legs, straightening, bending, doing lots of different things on a chair. And then finally coming up to stand. So this is the sort of direction that I'll be taking. Um, does that, I think that sort of kind of covers this because I start to then also look at the way people walk, how they go up and down stairs, how they apply pressure onto their body in lots of different ways, the habits that they have, how they cross their legs or don't cross their legs, or some people cross their legs, don't cross their legs. So I start to kind of consider, you know, whether people carry heavy loads, because this is one lady I was working with, I remember she was, she's like, yeah, I can walk to the supermarket. And then she went to the supermarket and and she said to me, I'm in so much pain today. I said, well, what did you do? She said, I can walk to the supermarket back again. So I went there and she goes, I bought all this shopping and I carried it all back. And, and so some people do stuff like this, is that you, you kind of, you achieve something and then you go a little further. And this is what I tend to see quite a lot of, is that there's this, and, and I see it a lot within a lot of surgeries, a lot of, um, work that I do rehabilitating people is that they tend to get some encouragement and then they sort of see that and then they go for it like this and then they crash all the way down like that and then get exhausted and then have to build it back up again really slowly. And for me, what I'm trying to teach them to do is that the curve of evolution is much smoother and much more gentle rather than a sort of jagged up and down action of, of, of success and failure success and failure i don't know if that makes any sense stanford no it makes so much sense i'm sure it's by no coincidence where your recovery protocol is almost like really nicely mirroring what the medical world is suggesting as well so you start really really gentle and then progressively increasing the movement before you start weight bearing and um i, th I think the beauty of what you said you actually work in the distal joint the ankle joint first actually yes absolutely the the, the calf muscles that the ligaments really feed into the 
knee and is part, forms part of the kind of that wrap around the knee or within the knee joint. Mm-hmm. And also the beauty of moving your ankles and start working your calf muscle is, you know, when you're lying down and more prone to get developed blood clots in your calves that can potentially travel to the lungs. It's once you start moving it, the risk mm-hmm. of the clots is actually much smaller. So, you know, double ban- benefit, always good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, the, the Western side, the, at least the current British protocol seems to be you, you get up a little bit quicker, start to weigh better a little bit. Obviously, for the first six weeks, you probably have to work, uh, walk with some kind of walking aid, sometimes a brace, sometimes a clutch, depending how fast you go. And you probably stay two to three days as an inpatient, sometimes maybe longer, sometimes maybe shorter, depending on your consultant and your surgeon. Um, and you really slowly ease into these exercise regime I think if you, uh, most people will be allocated to a physiotherapist um, you know either privately or NHS and the, the exercise they'll be given will be quite gentle to begin with as Colin said most of the time to begin with probably in, on the bed chair base probably a much better and safer pro- uh, approach and then from about seven to eight weeks onward you can start mobilizing or putting a little bit more weight and slow, gentle, gentle exercise. By about 12 weeks, you can probably exercise a little bit more. Apparently, you can start going cycling a little bit more vigorously. But of course, the whole time, really watch the alignment of your knee and how you're putting weight kind of in your new joint, literally, if you have a replacement. Um, and to drive is, is, is tricky because um, I, I guess a lot of the time you it affects the insurance as well, but most FIs is somewhere from six weeks onward. I think I, some some of that I've seen as far as eight weeks, you can start driving again, mainly because you need to have that reaction time where you can really safely see something react and then put your leg onto the brake. And uh, that obviously with a new joint, sometimes it might not be as quick and you want to make sure your safety is worse other road users. Um, and yes, um, apparently don't cross your leg for the first six weeks as well. Um, again, that's something to do with you. You're literally putting a non-straight force onto your joint and then that can affect how you can recover from the whole surgery and the whole effect as well. So it really does tells us how the recovery need to be stepwise and stage-wise. And I think Colin has we both know uh, he's much kinder than I am. I'm much more straight. I probably would take the approach of telling someone who had a knee replacement that for full recovery, like full recovery to the f- level where you feel like the joint belonged to you. That's what full recovery kind of means to me. It takes two years. It really takes that long. So any improvement you made in between these two years is success. However, you have to then really pace yourself you know, after massive surgery where your own joint's been taken out, a new plastic or metal joint has been put in, it takes two years, what, two, 365 days for, for your joint to feel belonging to yourself once again. So in the beginning, even if you can just way better for five minutes or a minute or 30 seconds, probably a massive success. But unfortunately, I think day by day, especially after surgery, and especially after if you have suffered from your joint for so long with swelling, pain and um, immobility, you want to get there quicker. But again, I think I really agree with Colin. I can't stress it more uh, or can't stress it enough where actually patience is a really big part of recovery. You have to really be patient to find out how your body's working after a massive surgery. 
how your new joint is working, how you can work with the new joints and how you can listen to this new joint to what is correct, what's maybe not so good, what's helpful, what's not helpful. And that takes a lot, a lot of adjustment, not to mention the whole relationship with pain, the whole relationship with um, the exercise and the habits that you do beforehand is really, really complicated. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's going to be wrapping up for myself as well, how knee surgery is not, is common, is definitely the risk and complications getting lower because skills and technology is getting better. And who knows, maybe one day we can start 3D printing our own joints and having it put into our body. Um, but I think the constant part is how we can actually live with the aftermath of the surgery and how we can live with our body again, with our mentality, with our recovery process. That complexity, I don't think it can really change with technology. We still have to bear and go through the same journey every single time. And we still have to have the same amount of patience, if not more, just because everything now seems to be moving so much quicker. We, we still have to move slow with our body. Sometimes it sounds a bit tedious. Colin? Thank you for that. Um, and I, what I like to, in what you just mentioned is the, the, the sort of this approach from lying on the bed to sitting to standing, which mirrors the sort of the approach that we take as well. And I, I love your summary too, because it, it's, it is, it's a combination of the individual, their physiology, their relationship with their physiology their relationship with themselves and how they're interacting with themselves and their environment using their body. For me, the joint is, it is a very complicated joint that needs to be respected. And just to summarize, I, I, this, to spend a lot of time, and I mean a lot of time, observing, asking questions, um, checking really, really, really clearly, and getting as much information as possible so that we take a good direction to cause no pain and no issues in the immediate, short and long term are crucial. So I, I've I'm very cautious and I always start with flexion of the knee and recovery before I go to extension. And then I also work with no weight bearing before then going into weight bearing. So we, you know, there's a kind of an order that sort of mirrors what Stanford was saying as well. And I feel that if we take the approach that we've discussed today, I think that we can have nothing but success with regard to working with knee joints and knee surgery. So I just want to thank Stanford so much for all everything you said um, and your wisdom. So thank you so much. And I want to thank all of you for coming. Um, so thank you. Thank you to Colin. I always love disagreeing with you, but I also love when I agree with you. And I love that we change our next webinar's topic to love from lymphatic system because lymphatic system is interesting but love is definitely way more complicated um so yeah can't wait to talk about all about love in three weeks time uh, 
just to say, if you want to ask this question beforehand uh, within our ABC webinar uh, membership, you have the opportunity to submit question either before the webinar or afterward as well. So please, if you're interested, please sign up. Uh, we'll be waiting and we'll be eagerly answering those questions. And also, I think we're doing quite a good job. I think Colin will definitely agree. Um, so if you want more people to be benefiting from these webinars, please uh, plug us on social media, tag us, take pictures now, whatever you want to do, because um, we would really want to see more audience and more listeners and hopefully help more people. Anyway, that's enough for me. So I say goodbye. <laughs> Bye everyone, thank you so much for coming. Um, really appreciate it. And um, yeah, let us know if you've got any questions. Thank you so much. Thank you.